With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, everybody, welcome back into another Auburn Live football show. I am Justin Hokinson, joined, as always, by Cole Pinkston. Cole, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, a little bit concerned after after doing the scouting report on California's offense. Uh-huh. But other than that, pretty uh-huh. fired up about an away game at 930 Central. Latest, I think it's one of the latest games they've ever they've ever played. One of the latest last, kickoffs they've ever played. Was it last year LSU or two years ago LSU was like at 8 Central? Yeah, there was an LSU game. It was the Bo Nix game, um, I think. Yeah. 20, was that 21? 21. Yeah. Um, that was that. That went late. I remember working very late into the night on that one. Yeah. Um, all right, let's get into this before we do real quick. Shout out to Session Cocktails, downtown Auburn, sponsor of the show. Go check them out. Next to Taco Mama right there on Magnolia. Um, awesome happy hour drinks. They just changed up their their entire menu, by the way. So if you've been there before, um, go check them out. You can still get anything you want. You can still get drinks that you had in the past that you like, but they just um, changed up their menu and added a bunch of new stuff. And so go check them out. They do a cocktail for a cause. It's always a, a pretty cool deal. Um, and like we always talk about, it's 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 bar seating and lounge seating, and so you're not standing around and things like that. So go check them out. It'll be an awesome place to go have a drink and watch a late night game if you're in Auburn. Go go up there and have a drink at 8:39 after dinner or something like that. Watch a little bit of the game if you want. But se- check them out. Session cocktails in downtown Auburn. Well, Cole, yeah, you mentioned Cal. You know what's funny about this Cal game is, and this always happens, right? Like preseason. I feel like fans look at the schedule and they're like, oh, that's a win, that's a win, that's a win. Eight wins, eight wins, right? And then when the season comes and this Cal game comes, like nobody was talking about Cal among Auburn fans, whether it's our board or wherever. Um, Many Auburn fans, nobody was talking about Cal. Like that's a win. Now it's game week. That tone's changing a little bit. And I don't know if it's nerves of a road game or you see Cal put up almost 700 yards of offense. Maybe it's a little concerns over Auburn's defense, but all of a sudden, game week comes and you're like, it's a five, Auburn's a five-point favorite, things like that. So all of a sudden, you start to get nervous, like you, like you kind of just talked about a little bit. Um, you get a little bit uh, nervous about it. So what do you think about that, Cole? Do you are you are you more nervous about this game? I shouldn't say nervous. It doesn't matter if they win or lose to you, but are you more concerned about Auburn's opportunities to win this game, chances of winning this game now than you were three weeks a month ago? Well, it does matter to me because it certainly helps with my job with recruiting when Auburn's winning. Well, yeah, <laughs> so, but you don't need to be nervous. You're not playing. No, no. no. You know. I mean, look, I, I'm concerned for Auburn because yeah. um, California's offense is good, man. I mean – I'd start with their offensive line. Nobody's talking about that. They got a senior, a redshirt junior, a 60-year senior, and a redshirt junior with one sophomore. But that sophomore started all 12 games as a freshman. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's probably not too many more experienced offensive lines like that in the country as experienced as them. 
Their center, uh, Matthew Sendrick, who is the sixth-year senior, has pl- has started the most games by any California player ever, 33. Wow. So, uh, And he's questionable, by the way. That's the interesting thing here. If he doesn't play, that's going to help Auburn a lot. But their offensive line's good, and I think that has a lot to do with, with a, a good running back room, too. Jaden Ott, that's the guy. Um, yeah. Here's a list of awards he's up for. Doak Walker, Maxwell, um, Polynesian College Football Player of the Year Award, Walter Camp, he's up for all those. And he was a preseason All-American. Um, he had 188 yards in the first game for Cal. So that's a guy that's ridiculous. I've watched him. I think he's an excellent running back, one of the best in the country. And then behind him, a guy named Isaiah Ephons or Iphons, I'm not sure Zach, you know about this guy. Montana State broke all the records there. Had almost 4,000 yards rushing in his career at Montana State. Now he's with California, and he had a first good a good first game for them. So running back room is tough. Offensive line is veteran. Receivers, they got some big receivers who made some big plays in that first game. Um, I feel more concerned about this matchup after watching their first game and seeing what they have. Uh, and there you go. Zach said he's the problem talking about Ephons, the backup running back. So, yep. They, uh, they got some weapons. Yeah. I mean, almost 700 yards of offense. Um, clearly a, a dangerous team against an Auburn defense that's still, you know, juries out, you know, juries out in terms of certainly the rush defense and you pair up Jade Knott with that and, and all of a sudden you're, you're looking at that going, okay, they're, they're probably going to run the ball a little bit. They're going to come out and try to run the ball on, on, on Auburn. Um, you like Auburn's ability to create some turnovers, so maybe they can do that again. But, yeah, I think Cal's offense combined with some uncertainty about Auburn's defense and then I would say um, a limited passing game in that opener, not exactly knowing what Auburn's passing game could look like if it's opened up. All those things sort of, I think, culminate in a game where you go in wondering – What's going to happen? Not exactly sure. You, I think you feel like Auburn can run the ball. You feel like Cal's probably going to run the ball a little bit. It's a tricky logistics game across the country, week two, with new staff, new players, new everybody. So there's just some things outside of even on the field that make that mentally um, a tough game. And then, uh, and then you have a dangerous Cal offense that if they start to score a little bit, can all, I mean, right out, right out the gate, can Auburn's offense, are they in position in game two to go outscore somebody? Are they cohesive enough? Do they know what they're doing enough? Um, is there enough, you know, unity in the, in the, in the past game? You think about some of the decisions Peyton Thornton made that Hugh Freeze wasn't happy about. Um, you think about not opening up the passing game yet. They're going to have to do that Saturday. There's just a lot that, that if, if Cal starts to score a little bit, Auburn's going to have to hang with them right out, right out of the gate. With, with a lot of new pieces and a lot of unknowns. And it just, I think that that's what makes you go into this game unsure. I think Auburn could go score 38 and, um, that count and win the, and win, and win the game and beat the spread. Like I think, I think Auburn could go win this game, you know, 38 24 or something. It could be 31 24, I guess. I, I think Auburn can hold them under 28. Um, I hope so, because the rest of the schedule, for Auburn's sake, the rest of the schedule is pretty good offenses. So, if you, not saying Cal's not a good offense, but if you go give up 30 to Cal, and you still got to play Georgia, Bama, LSU, um, Arkansas, Ole Miss, like I guess you're going to be looking at some games where you better score 40 to win. 
Um, and so I think there's some of those unknowns make you go into this game a little nervous, a little, little um, not nervous, but a little weary of um, what will Auburn look like. Because the bottom line is we didn't see an, a lot against UMass. UMass is not good. That's not a good roster. You blew them out. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. You didn't need to throw down field. You know, you, you, you aligned improperly 15 different times, and it didn't matter. Um, and so you just didn't come away knowing – more or less about Auburn, really. Um, you, they didn't – I mean, just you, just you just didn't. UMass isn't good enough for you to come away from that game knowing more about Auburn. They're not good enough to test or challenge Auburn in that way. So when you listen to Hugh Freeze, he says, we got away with these things in game one. We won't get away with them in the future. But he's saying we got away with them in game one because of who we were playing. And so that's why it's hard to take a lot from what you saw from Auburn. So it's just kind of that perfect – Game one, game two scenario against an opponent that's dangerous, and you just don't know enough about your team yet, and but you're about to find out. You're about to find out a lot more. So, to me, the linebackers were the biggest glaring issue for Auburn's defense, even more so than the defensive line. And, and in this game, honestly, I don't think uh, – UMass did not run right at Auburn. That was not their game plan. They went to the perimeters, the edges, and they had a lot of success doing that. Cal's not really like that, at least from what I can tell from the first game. They they trust Jaden Ott. They trust their offensive line to, to to run between the tackles. They're a zone run team, so it's you know they try to keep it inside like that. And uh, the it's not going to be so much the eyes with with Auburn's linebackers this week getting crossed up with their eyes. I think it's more of a test of will. Like you're going to have some offensive linemen in your face. A couple times, can you fight through that and stop some, uh, stop some plays there? Uh, that's my biggest concern uh, on the defensive side for Auburn. Are they, t- are the linebackers good enough in the box to be able to stop this run game? And I don't know because I think the key to beating California is going to be to make put them as, in as many passing situations as you can. Even though, and we didn't even talk about them, their quarterbacks are decent, both of them. Sam Jackson, uh, the TCU transfer. He's not bad at all from what I could tell. Now, he's questionable. The other guy, Ben Finley. Some of y'all might remember Ben Finley from NC State. Led an overtime victory against North Carolina when North Carolina was 18th in the country. He looked really good doing it. Uh, so a couple of good quality quarterbacks, in my opinion, and, and both can throw the football really well. So even if you get them in passing situations, they're still going to be tough. Uh, I, I just think the offense is pretty well-rounded for California, and that's why I'm a little bit concerned with, with Auburn's defense, and I already was concerned with Auburn's defense going in. Are you so negative, Cole? <laughs> Cole's always negative. No, I'm, I'm here trying to be positive. <laughs> apparently, no, I'm only negative about Robbie Ashford, and I haven't even started talking about that yet. So, <laughs> Shout out to our lovely, lovely subscribers. Listen, if you come on here – and listen to us. If you want a place to just have sunshine pumped into your face, you for me, you've come to the wrong place. You're not getting that from me. I'm going to be as fair as I can, both positive and negative. So if you come on here and you want to hear about all the great things that Auburn did against UMass, we'll talk about that. But we'll also talk about the fact that UMass is terrible and Auburn made a bunch of mistakes and left a lot of things in the playbook, which is cool. We'll find out. Um, but I think we're going to try to we're going to try to shoot you straight. Always, we're not going to sit here and uh, 
and and tell you all based on that game Auburn's going to go win nine games. Like, how could you say that based on what? I mean, there's just nothing you could take from that game to me to be like, oh, in nine games Auburn's on their way to nine wins. I mean, I don't know how you could say that. Look at the rest of the schedule. Everybody else blew everybody out on their schedule, with the exception of LSU. Well, they got humbled. <laughs> um, well, I mean, tough matchup. And Florida State looked good. Yeah, LSU is not bad. Florida State just they caught fire. What was surprising about that, by the way, was LSU like just it just kept getting worse. They didn't LSU didn't fight back, stop the momentum, maybe go get a score. It just boy that thing snowballed. Um, yeah, yeah, it'll be an interesting game. Um, Auburn has never won in the state of California. Do you know that? How many times have they actually played in the state of California? I mean, it they can't be are. Anymore. I tweeted it the other day and I forgot. They are 0 and 3 all time in California. They I guess is that two. counting the, um, the yes the national or whatever? Yeah, the national championship. Yeah, they lost to Santa Clara in 1936. Everybody knows Santa Clara dynasty. Um, <laughs> USC in 2002 touchdown loss. Auburn goes out there. Carnell cramps up, and Auburn loses to USC at the beginning of their little dynasty run. And then Florida State in the 2014 BCS championship game. Auburn is 0-2 on the road against current members of the Pac-12. They lost at Southern Cal, and they lost at Arizona years ago. I don't even know the date. Um, but they're 10-3 overall against the Pac-12. Hmm. Um, so they've got a pretty good record. But, yeah, they got a chance to make a little bit of history, win, the, win their first road game against a current member of the Pac-12 and win their first football game in the history of the program in the state of California. So it would be nice to make a little bit, as Bruce Pro would say, make some history. Make some hmm. Make some history. That's what that's what he free should be telling them. Guys, go make history. You can do something nobody's ever done. As minor or major, whatever you want to make of it, it would be a history-making win. It gives Auburn the first win in the state of California ever. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that'd be a pretty cool moment, I think, to go and and uh, and and beat Cal. Cal's uh, Cal's Cal's. By the way, Cal and UMass were both teams Auburn had never faced in the history of the program, and now they're both they're facing them back to back. You know, you mentioned Ashford. We 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 talked to Hugh Freeze on Monday, and um, he's pretty hard on the quarterbacks, man. Talk pretty hard on the quarterbacks. Said he wants a hundred percent correct decision making from his quarterbacks, at least high nineties. I mean, the, the expectations can't get much higher than don't ever be wrong. Um, and I think mainly what he's talking about is, or he said specifically in that RPO game. You know, some decisions could be subjective. Like, well, you threw this fade, and I get why you saw it, and maybe it could have been completed. But the RPO game, it's it should be clear. Like, you're reading the defense, and there's a right call and a wrong call, you know, for, for freeze. And there were a couple of times where Thorne – twice on one drive, which is what resulted in, in Hugh Freeze throwing his headset down on, after the second time Peyton Thorne did it, was, was just simply – making the wrong read. He he handed it off once when he should have thrown, where the safety crashed down, and he handed it off anyway. And then he pulled it and threw when he should have handed it off, which those are the things that this offense is built on. You have to make the right decision on those because you're reading the defense, and if you read it wrong, um, it's it's just going to be in trouble. So I mean, Freeze was, was critical of Thorne, said he played solid, said he played well. Um, and then talked about Robbie Ashford a little bit. So obviously that was part of the game plan to, to get him in, get him in the red zone and, and use him in the way that they used him. 
I think that's going to be Ashford's role. Like, I think it's pretty clear what his role is going to be. Short yardage runs or some red zone runs, it's pretty clear. It's going to be a change of pace, trying to um, out-leverage the opponent in certain situations to run the football. And then, of course, you're going to have passes out of that. You're going to have times where they're going to bring Robbie in. They're going to hope the defense is ready for a run, and it's going to be a play action, and Robbie's going to, going to throw, the ball, throw the ball and take some shots. But what did you make of, of Hugh Freeze talking about the quarterbacks and specifically how hard he is on those guys and what, like, what his expectations are for those guys especially Peyton Thorne, to be damn near perfect. It should be. He should be 100% on, on making decisions or just shy of it, in my opinion. That doesn't mean that every throw is perfect. Right, right, right. That, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you made the correct read on this play because I have gone back and done almost a full half of the play script and, and looked at what they're calling, trying to figure out the offense. Whether I call it an RPO or not, everything's got a pass attachment to it. Yeah. Which yeah. means there's two kinds of RPOs. One, you have an RPO that happens after the snap, post-snap. It depends on how the defense moves. depends on this. You, you know, you're riding. you got the ball in the, in the stomach of the running back, and you're deciding, do I pull it and throw it? Do I pull it and run it? That's a post-snap RPO. And then you have the pre-snap RPOs. This is what Auburn's doing right now for the most part. It means the quarterback is deciding what's going to happen before the ball is ever snapped. And, and this is where apparently uh, Peyton Thorne didn't make all the perfect reads, and, and he made a couple of where, like you said, he should have handed it off. He should have uh, thrown it, whatever the case. Um, so those should be perfect. There's no, there's really no excuse. You You have to get that perfect in order to be able to have a chance to win a football game from your quarterback. And, you know, he puts Robbie Ashford in the game, and, yeah, he lets him throw a little bit in the package. And I thought he did okay with the decision-making when he was in at doing his, uh, what I would call his package, right, his his uh, set of plays that were designated for him. He throws a good screen. You know, that was a good decision on that. Early in the game, does a couple of other things. They give him a run-pass option to to the perimeter where he's rolling out. That worked out pretty good. So, obviously, there's a couple things there that Hugh Freeze is not happy about and can't, and can't win you a game when a, an, an opposing offense is going to give you trouble, like I think it could this week. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's an important point to make, which is um, when the decision-making that Hugh Freeze is talking about, there's a mental aspect and there's a physical aspect. Yeah. What, what Hugh Freeze is saying, mentally be on point. It's like a math problem. Two plus two is four, period. Right. Right. It's never not four. It's, there's a right and a wrong. And so if that safety crashes, there's a right and a wrong decision. There's no subjectivity to that. And so that's what Hugh Freeze is talking about. If that safety stays back, you should have handed it off. Why would you throw a fade route to, the, to Tyler Fromm when the safety's already back there? Give, give the ball. Like that, after that decision, there's other things that are – um, you know, that are out of your control. Ball floats a little bit. You're not going to complete every pass. You know, not everything's going to go your way after the play. But the decision, the decision to read it has to be on point. Because if you don't, it, you're going to be fortunate for the play to work. If you don't read that correctly, and what he's talking about, one of the times where, where Peyton handed it off, the safety was crashing down. But the safety made the tackle with the line of scrimmage. I mean, of course he did. And so if you don't make the right call in that RPO game, um, your chances of that being a successful player are just going to be really low. 
so that's why that initial decision is so huge. It's just gonna it's just gonna set the play up essentially right off the bat for being a a, a failure or not. Yeah, and I think Peyton Thorne's got a higher percentage of getting those things right, and he's obviously done that in practice. That's why he was chosen to be the quarterback. Right now, uh, having said that, you know, I, I'd say this on on Robbie Ashford's role. I think it increases a little bit uh, this week, and that is only if Jarquez Hunter does not play, which we don't know one way or the other right now. I say if he doesn't play, you can see Robbie Ashford's role increase big time because when he's putting the game, it, it's it's about the run. That's what they're trying to do, and but they don't want to be predictable, so they give him some RPOs and things like that, which is smart. If you're going to have that, you got to be able to do that. Um. But I just expect um, – I expect to see his role increase. I really do. And, and I don't think that's Peyton Thorne's fault. I think that's because Robbie Ashford is a threat to score whenever he touches the ball. Yeah, yeah, especially inside the 20 if you can keep being successful, quarterback sweeps, um, some zone read stuff. And there was some passing options there. Yeah, I think Ashford's role would be interesting to see um, – how that goes, and it'll be interesting to see how defense um, attack that, right? So that's on film now. So when Ashford comes into the game at the 23-yard line and you're driving, what does Cal do? Um, and what do defenses do? Once Now that it's on film and they know when he comes in there, okay, guys, decent chance it could be a quarterback sweep or how are they prepared? And I think it'll be interesting to see how teams adjust, adjust to that. Um, we talked about Auburn defensively a little bit and that the, the the running game was suspect, I would say, suspect. What was interesting about that game was the difference in the first and second half. Auburn only gave up about 20 yards rushing in the second half. Most of K. Ron Adams' yards came in the first half. He only had about 17 yards in the second half. So the, the yards per carry was like near seven in the first half for UMass, and it was like two, two and a half in the second half. Um, obviously, the quarterback had a 30-yard run in the first quarter. That impacted things. It was kind of a blown assignment type deal from Auburn. So they settled in some, but you, again, UMass is not a good indicator, really. Uh, it was more of the fact that you gave up 100-yard rushers, not a great sign. We'll find out a lot more you mentioned on on uh, on Saturday against Jay Knott. But you mentioned the linebackers, and I want to talk about that a little bit more because you mentioned it. I wrote about it on Sunday. It was kind of one of my question marks, one of my and even one of my predictions. Like, hey, this linebacker position is far from settled um, after what we saw on Saturday. Um, I think I looked up the top four guys: Austin Keys, Cam Riley, Eugene Asante, and Larry Nixon. That's your top four linebackers. They had a total of nine tackles in that game. That that just seems to me, um, you know, not sufficient at all for your top four linebackers in a in a quote-unquote linebacker-driven defense, which is what Robin Roberts called this defense, for your top four guys combined to only have nine tackles is um, – that just can't, that can't be – that can't be ideal. Larry Nixon had zero. Riley had one. Those guys – I mean, and they all played about an even number of snaps. They all played about 20 snaps or so in the game. So you're talking about 80-something, whatever. I mean, so it's just – I think that's a big question mark. And I went into the season thinking defensive line was maybe a big question mark, especially depth. I thought linebacker was a kind of a, an, a little bit of an unknown, but I thought there were, I thought those guys were all capable. I thought defensive line to me was 
I'm not sure if they've got the right bodies there. And that's still a question mark. But linebacker is probably the one position I come away after game one a little more concerned than I did going in. Keys is probably still a little bit bothered with that shoulder, maybe, that right shoulder. But that that position, man, um, I want to see something different on Saturday against Cal. I need to see – I can't just see Eugene Asante being the only one that kind of flashes and that darts in the backfield and gets a sack. I, I got to see more from, from those guys making plays, attacking – you and I were up there. We saw one of those runs. I can't remember if it was – I think it was Keys, um, where it just sat back. Waited, waited on the pulling offensive lineman to come through and uh, go get him and go block him. He's like, he's moved into position and then just sat there and he like caught the lineman. And that is, that is not how you do it. That's, I mean, that's just not how you, how it's going to get done in the SEC. Are you, am I overstating the concern with the linebackers or do you come away going, ooh, uh, I mean, think about SEC, don't think about UMass or even Cal. Think about the SEC and what it takes to play linebacker and to, get the job done in the SEC, and did you see enough on Saturday, or is that just now a major concern? No, that was that was a big concern for me preseason. Uh, I had them ranked towards the end in my position unit rankings. I, I ended up putting them at 10th uh, after fall camp uh, and switching them with the safeties. So I was really worried about the linebackers for that reason. Um, it's just it's a hard position to play, especially in today's football. You're getting pulled all all these different directions with with all these RPOs, and then they'll run right at you, and you're so used to going sideline to sideline that it's hard to take on a block. And and, and it takes a special player to play that position. And, and I don't I'm not saying Auburn doesn't have one right now or doesn't have multiple, but they're not ready. It just doesn't look like they're ready to for that action um, as a whole. And, and you know, I don't think it's coaching. I think it just takes time, man. It takes time to figure that out. And they're new guys for the most part. All these guys didn't play a year ago, except for Cam Riley, who... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. His eyes got crossed several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just happens, okay? And, and, but it can't happen if you want to be successful on defense. Honestly, I felt pretty good about all the position groups going into the game on offense and felt pretty good about them exiting the game. Defense, I had concerns and left with the same concerns or more right. at every position unit. Yeah. Defensive line, linebacker, and secondary, by the way. Yeah. I think the secondary – was a little bit suspect too. So yeah, gotta have um, I put you back. Gotta get him back. You do, yeah. And that's again, you know, <laughs> I, I said the corners were one of the middle of the pack units, and everybody's like, "What are you talking about, man?" DJ James, team, I put you. Yeah, but what happens if one of those guys goes down? You saw, they're not as strong without one of those two, and you got to have more than two. You have to. Canley, he'll be fine, but he's a freshman. First game action. It's going to take time. This is going to be a big test for him this week. So I'm concerned about the defense as a whole. I just don't. I don't think. I don't think um, it's going to be 
what it needs to be early in the season. The problem is you're going to hit a stretch of Georgia, LSU, and A&M where it needs to be, and it's not going to be, I don't think. Yeah, the the best takeaway coming off the, the from the defense and, and and projecting forward if they can if they can keep it going the best thing about it was the negative plays they created in the two turnovers. That is going to be <clears throat> this defense has to do that. They are not going to be good enough to get by <clears throat> forcing no turnovers um, or creating maybe four to five havoc type plays. Which havoc plays are. Everybody kind of defines them. I don't know exactly how Roberts defines them, but they're, you know, passes defended or, you know, a turnover, a quarterback hurry, things like that. Um, they're not going to get by if they don't do what they did, which is create about 10 type havoc plays a game and, and create a turnover or, or two a game. They don't have to be a pick six. They don't have to be a touchdown. But they're going to have to force turnovers. They're not going to be good enough to just go out there, shut teams down three and out, stop them. Um, they're going to give up yeah. yards, and they're going to give up some points, and they're going to have to get it back some somewhere. They're going to have to get it back somewhere. But this is where I am really pleased with with the defensive scheme and play calling because I think they understand what they have. I think they realize that, hey, like you just said, we can't go out there and force three and outs over and over. It, it is going to take that havoc. And, and I think this defensive staff understands that. They didn't take long at all. Okay, it's UMass. Right, they could have played base defense and won the game, but UMass would have scored a couple more times, probably, if I had to guess. Ron Roberts, everybody up there who's calling plays on defense, said, "No, we're not going to do that. We're going to take control here," and they did. And they started blitzing. They started getting uh, Fumachan off of his platform. They started doing all these things to disrupt the offensive game plan on the other side. Yeah. So. They didn't just sit back and take it, which, honestly, I have seen that recently from Auburn defenses where here's the game plan. We're going to stay with it no matter what. And it probably was in the game plan to eventually open up these blitzes, but as, but they went to it so quickly. I mean, it was the very next drive after that first drive that was terrible when they said, all oh, right, yeah. well, we're going to unload on them. You know, we're going to see what happens when we come after them. And it worked. And it's going to have some success in other big games, too. It's going to be somewhat boomer bust this year for the defense. I think you're going to have some really big plays and turnovers like we saw, and then you're going to give up some really big plays. Yeah, I, I just It's just the way it's going to be. But this is not what I would call a bend-don't-break defense. This is an attacking defense. And I, I think that's perfect for what you got. Yeah, yeah. And I think you hit on a good point, which is – understanding your personnel and understanding your identity. And I think Roberts gets it. I think that defense probably gets it and understand where your weaknesses are and try to make up for it by attacking some. And it's going to be, it is what it is um, with with that defense. It's going to be, give some stuff. It's it's going to be, it's going to remind me a little bit of, you know, when you watch Auburn play basketball and offense, there's going to be times you're going to go, what are we doing? Yeah, but then there's gonna be times where that style is gonna produce points and fast break, and like that style is gonna produce good things too. It's gonna be a little bit of both this year with that defense, and you're gonna have to just sort of adjust and get used to it. And they're gonna give up some stuff, but hopefully they can get it back with being overly aggressive. Um, the one the one thing that we didn't talk about a ton that I wrote about at AuburnLive.com today that is you know. 
a huge plus, and it's one of the things that I wrote about what we have learned, and that is the special teams in terms of the primary playmakers. Now, Hugh Freeze talked about they had some loafs late in the game, a couple missed tackles. They need to carry the energy throughout. But in terms of the primary playmakers on special teams, it's about as strong as a group top to bottom as I remember. You have Oscar Chapman, who's as reliable as it gets punting the football. <clears throat> Rarely is a team going to have a chance to return one, ever. You have Alex McPherson, who, while young, has hit for his seven of his first eight field goals, including five straight going back to last year. He's got range to 60, 65 yards. Phenomenal leg, um, a real weapon where you feel like you could, you know, you could attempt a 45, 47-yarder with him, and that's not, that is not even close to feeling like you're pushing him. You're, it's kind of the way it was when you had Daniel Carlson back in the day when you're like, well, if we just get to the 35, <laughs> yeah. we'll kick a field goal. You know? um, what, a, what a weapon that is. Think about if you get a, a, a good kick return or a turnover, and you're like, well, if we just got to the 30 or 35, we feel like we could get points. That's, that's pretty awesome. So you have Chapman and Alex McPherson. Then you toss in Brian Batty, returning kicks, who you saw had a 40-yard return from seven yards deep in the end zone. Um, great speed, well-built for kick returns, fearless guy. He, he's going to pop some more kick returns. And then if Jarquez, when Jarquez Hunter comes back, if he's back there with Batty, you, you're good. I mean, you got to kick it to one of them, and both those guys are going to be really dangerous. Then you go over to punt return, and you've got Keontae Scott, who had a 56-yarder, and would have had another big – the other one was officially an 11-yard return. But that's only because he barely stepped out of bounds, tightrope on the sideline, that if he stays in – I mean, he, he tightroped and then he cut back across the field. That was going to be another big return. I mean, he almost had two two big returns, um, you know, for, for, for him in that game. And so I was just kind of thinking about it again, like special teams-wise, you can't ask for much more in terms of punter, kicker, um, punt returner, kick returner. The only thing maybe is – you know, McPherson wasn't booming him into the end zone. I don't know if, if that's going to kind of be where he's at, is kicking it to about the goal line or so. So they had a couple. He, now he did kick some in the end zone, but there were some that got returned. So Auburn's kick return unit will, will have to be a little bit more on point. I'm not sure if McPherson's just going to boom him out of the end zone the way Carlson would. Um, but overall, man, special teams, you've got playmakers at every one of those positions to, that can help you change a game. Hit a long field goal, return a big punt, return a kick pin somebody inside the 20. You've got weapons at all four of those places that can help you win games. Yep, I think special teams is good. Uh, obviously, that's a great way to steal some points you know, on special teams that, that a lot of people don't think about. Look at Frank Beamer and how he did it at Virginia Tech, sort of you know, made a name for himself for doing that. Um, but, I mean, yeah, in, in some ways I thought Batiste's role was even bigger as a special teams guy, I mean, he, he caught it with his line, his foot almost on the line of the back of the end zone and said, all right, I'm taking it. First one. I'm First not, one, I'm yeah. not kneeling this. I'm not calling fair catch. I like that. I, I think that's to me a fair catch. Yes, you get it at the 25, but you're giving up a chance to go score. I mean, that doesn't look like the way they're going to do this. So they're going to return it if they get a shot. Even if it doesn't look right, they're going to return it. So that's good. And, and Keontae Scott, I think we were sitting up in the box when that first punt or whatever that big one was he had, it hit the ground and it bounced right into his hands. And I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew right when he caught it, like, that was perfect because now he's got a chance to survey everything and he's going to he's gonna break one here. 
And he did. He broke that one. It was great. Uh, so, yeah, we actually talked to him at the roundtable the other day about his punt returning. And, and he's like, he goes, last year I thought fair catching was a bad play. He's like, I thought that was wrong to fair catch the ball. And he got into a tight situation in the Alabama game a couple of times, right? So I think his philosophy's changed on that, and I think it's for the better. But he knows if he gets a shot at it, if he gets some room, there's a chance you're going to get some points out of it. And he's so, man, he's so, like, it's the little things. That second return, if you go back and watch for people, the second return is one that was kicked away from him a little bit. It hit, and he had to chase it down a little bit. And even if you watch just how smart of a player he is, if you watch when he's chasing, when he's about to grab that ball, his back is to the defenders. And there's about three or four of them right on his tail. And he did something that, that I noticed rewatching it that was, that was, it's just pure instincts, which is he didn't just run, grab it, and then turn around and figure out what he's going to do. He literally, if you watch right before he grabs it, he kind of does a little bit of a fake to the right. Yeah. And then he grabs it going back to the left. And if you watch the defenders, when he kind of goes, he sort of sets them up like he's going to go right. And you can you can see him take a step, and then when he grabs it, he knows he's going left. It's like a point guard with the ball who is going to, you know, go one way and go the other. He's setting you up. That's what he did. He set him up, fakes one way, and then comes back and grabs it in one motion and goes the other way. That's what allowed him to turn the corner. That's what allowed those defenders to take one step in the wrong direction. And then he, they're like, oh, and it allows him to then turn on the speed, turn the corner. It's just such a, it's just such a smart, instinctive football player when it comes to making plays um, out there, whether it's at, at, at the nickel spot or whether it's returning punts. Um, yeah, I'd love to see him get an interception or a fumble or a scoop yeah. and score. He, he's going to take it to the house if he ever gets his hands on it while he's on defense, I think. I would think so. He, yeah, him and him and Donald Coffin were, were, were absolutely fantastic. Um, he was he was responsible, in my opinion, for the uh, Jalen Simpson pick six that started the for second sure. Round. Yeah, for sure, forced that. Absolutely forced that bad throw. Um, depth chart notes, just a few notes. Nothing changed on the depth chart. Um, and Hugh Freeze has talked about like he doesn't like he doesn't like a depth chart is what he said. He doesn't want to go into it and say, um, I have a starter here or there. Now, quarterback's different. But in terms of some of these positions, he's like, like starting offensive line, he's like, that's the first five. It's not our starters. We'll, we'll have another guy rotate in. We'll have multiple guys rotate in. Same thing with receiver and, and some other positions. But nothing's really, nothing really changed there. Um, you know, I guess it could be interesting. Does Keldrick fault get, get a few more snaps? You know, maybe who starts at linebacker could be interesting. Who, who, who trots out there first? Um, receiver, maybe. I mean, Jair Shorter started, but he was kind of a non-factor. I mean, I don't know that it was necessarily his fault. be interesting to see if, if there's any shift there in terms of who, who trots out there first. Probably not. Um, I, think, I think probably linebacker is going to be the main position you're wondering. <laughs> Who starts and, and, and did the snaps change? It was pretty much split across those four in game one. Does that change in game two? Everything else is it's pretty much the same. We saw Nehemiah Pritchett's practicing, Jalen McLeod's practicing, Jarquez Hunter's practicing, J.D. Rim's practicing, Nick Marner's practicing. So all the guys that were questionable are 
are practicing. Now, Hunter's a different situation, and we're not sure if he'll play. I don't know yet. But the other guys, the thing to remember, though, a lot of those guys probably could have gone last Saturday. Hugh Freeze talked about that before the UMass game. He said they're questionable. He said they might try to go. So if that were Alabama, a bunch of those guys probably play. Um, But they held them out. So I think there's a pretty good chance all these guys will be available to play against against. Cal and we'll at least give it a go. I think it's a little this is a little bit different type of game where if you can go you can go. Marner might be one where you've got enough receivers where if he's not a hundred percent, maybe he's one that you potentially could keep out another game. But if everybody else is healthy or eighty five above percent, then I think if you're Nehemiah Pritchett you go. If you're Jalen McLeod you go. JD Rim for some depth, you you go. They they need all the, a lot of those guys for for those depth reasons. So I think we'll see some of those guys back. I just I keep itching to see Jalen McLeod out there healthy. And we're not yeah, he's not going to be 100 percent probably against Cal. I mean it might might take a few weeks. I I, I don't know. I mean I don't know when he'll be 100 percent. But man, I want to see him close to full speed and just see what he can do off the edge because all we heard is just about how dangerous he is. And I just want to see it. Yeah, if he really is that dangerous, and I think he is, and I'm, just based on his film, then then you don't have to worry about because the problem Saturday was having four rushers and not being able to get there, so you had to start blitzing. Well, if he's able to get there, that opens up so much more for you in coverage, right? Number one, it creates less time for the quarterback. Number two, you have one more guy in coverage or two more guys in coverage that you didn't have to worry about sending on a blitz just to get the quarterback off his timing. So, I mean, he's a game changer. He really is yeah, a game changer for the defense. And and that could bring the defense as a whole up such another level. I mean, it really could. Yeah, I think so as well. I just I want to see what he's all about. I want to see Keldrick Falk get a few more snaps. He 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 uh seemed to be effective late when he played a little bit more. Yeah. Um want to see if, if him get maybe a little bit more action um in there as well. Want to see Rivaldo Fairweather get targeted a little bit. That'd be nice. Uh, he was pretty much. I didn't throw his throw his way once. Same with Jair Shorter, Camden um, Brown, Camden Brown, Camden Brown got shoot out one time for missing a block that was on the screen play, screen pass that was just it. That's tough, man. When you when you're the big receiver on on a screen like that on a, just a quick throw outside, if you miss that block, if you miss that block, yeah. everybody in the world knows that you just messed up, and that is just the worst feeling for a receiver because you're just standing there like, that's my bad. And uh, yeah. and it was on Auburn sideline, and Freeze was you know ticked. You could see Camden Brown just kind of like, that's my bad. But I want to see Rivaldo Fairweather get a. They tried to go to hooks. They tried to throw the fade to hooks on the first drive. Looked like it was a little underthrown. Maybe I don't know. They were maybe a little prepared for it. Um, also, kind of looked like hooks was pulled down a little bit um, by the UMass DB. Yeah, I want to see. I want to see a little bit more hooks. I want to see shorter and Fairweather. Those are your three big guys. Those are the guys that Hugh Freeze loves. It's possible being that he loves that so much and he loves the big receiver and the back shoulders and those things. That might have been one of the things he went, all right, let's hold off on that for right now. I don't want to show that yet because they're big against tendencies, I can tell already. They don't want to be predictable. And yeah. Auburn fans will love that, I think, for the most part. Um, so he knows he's going to go to that a lot when he gets a chance in a big game. Let's not show it against UMass. I think that's probably has something to do with yeah. it. That's probably what I'm most intrigued about going into the Cal game is 
is the passing game. Because when you hear Hugh Freeze say there's some things we thought we could take advantage of that we purposefully didn't, and you kind of look at who was targeted and who wasn't, it seems like there is a lot more in that passing game to be seen. At the same time, you also hear Hugh Freeze talk about they're still not understanding how to run routes, spacing, landmarks, things that you're probably thinking, what's a landmark? What's a spacing? Well, for those guys, there's, I mean, it's literally a landmark. There's, there's spots on the field. There's based on the defense. There's places they need to be. That's all landmark is. It's simply a place that the receiver needs to be based on, based on what the defense is running and where the quarterback knows they're going to be. And so that's stuff that's, that's just football IQ stuff. That's stuff that takes time understanding the scheme understanding the coaches and just playing a lot of college football, like just getting how to play the position. That's, that's what, that's the part of being a great receiver that goes beyond being big, strong and having good hands. It's like just getting it and there's work to be done there. So that whole passing operation is just still such a, I don't know what it's going to look like in a month. Well, a lot of that is when you talk about landmarks, sometimes it's the numbers, it's the hashes, it's, it's the pylons, it's the goalposts. You know, this is your aiming point. This is where you're supposed to be positionally. Because um, a lot of the plays that they ran were switch routes is what I'm calling switch routes. It's when you have a guy lined up here and a guy lined up here, and they switch their routes. It looks like a cross or a scissors concept. And that changes your responsibility and where you're supposed to be. And sometimes they weren't in the right place, uh, even when they weren't doing that. And uh, it's just it's an understanding thing and a repetition thing, and it's just not going to be done by game one. Yeah, repetition thing. That's that's yeah, that's that's the big one. So we'll see what kind of we'll see what kind of strides they make from week one to week two, week two to week three, and by the time they go to College Station, let's see where these guys are at because it's going to be a point where they're just going to there's the guys that that understand that are going to play, and if and if there's more talented guys on the sideline, then so be it. They're going to play the guys that. Um, that are reading the defense the way the quarterback's reading it and are where they're supposed to be. Those are going to be the guys that are going to be out there, like Javaris Johnson, Jay Fair, right. Hugh, Hugh Freeze called the most consistent, solid players, even going back to the spring. It's good yeah. to see them have, have a couple of good games. Yeah. Um, I think Auburn's a five. I think, it, I think this point spread's crept up to six and a half points now. It started at five, six and a half, probably will stay right in there um, as uh, as Auburn gets ready for this this game against Cal. Um any other thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, no, not really. I just want to see, uh, you know, I want to see the def- – I, I, I want to know if the defense is going to be more aggressive in this situation or are they going to back off some so they can stay in coverage and, and try to keep the top on the defense kind of thing. Um, that's going to be the biggest thing for me. You said the passing game for you, mine is, you know, how do they go about the defense with this? as far as play calling, blitzing, and things of that nature. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be an interesting first quarter. I think an interesting first quarter. A lot of newness for Auburn already. Do you toss in a, a cross-country road trip, late-night start? I mean, you know, their body clocks, it'll be 930. Um, yeah. And it'll just be a, a different environment, kind of one of those environments where there'll be, you know, maybe six to 7,000 Auburn fans, but there, there won't be – you know, it'll be kind of like going to play at Vanderbilt or sort of, you know, it's like there'll be fans, but it won't be overwhelming. Um, and so 
you know, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to kind of the environment if, if, if Cal fans show up and it's Auburn and somehow they pop out with, with a big, a big crowd or if it's kind of their normal little 38,000, 40,000 type, type, type crowd. Um, but I think that first quarter will be, will be big. Just a little bit of jitters, probably first road game. Um, a lot of these guys obviously transferring in, didn't play in, in, in power five games, didn't come from a power five school. And so I think there's just going to be a lot of maybe a little jitters in that first quarter, and you're going to need some some of Auburn's veterans I think, to come out strong, come out and play well right off the bat, get off to a good start. You don't want a team like Cal with a pretty good offense. You don't want them to gain momentum. You don't want to come out and go, oh, yeah, I mean, first quarter, 7-7. Which, I mean, we're right here with these guys. That could happen, but uh, you want to try to come out to a good start and not allow the underdog to hang around for too long. Right. Um, all right, we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap it up with that. Make sure at AuburnLive.com and uh, go check out game week coverage and recruiting coverage and all the stuff in between. We'll be back later in the week with the modcast, so make sure and go check that out on the Auburn Live YouTube channel. Subscribe, turn on notifications, listen to the podcast on Apple and Spotify and everywhere else. Go check out the modcast and the recruiting shows that are going on all week as well. So make sure you check all that stuff out. We'll talk to we'll have more from Hugh Freeze on the site as well. He speaks on the SEC teleconference and. Make sure if you missed that, you caught what he said there um, as Auburn prepares to play Cal Saturday night, 7.30 local time, 9.30 central on ESPN. All right, um, quick shout-out Session Cocktails, sponsor of the show. Appreciate them and their support. Go check them out, Magnolia Avenue next to Taco Mama, and uh, uh, go have some drinks there, some happy hour drinks there. Um, go, go have some drinks on Saturday, watch some college football, go check them out. Have a good time. Go watch Alabama, Texas. That's a six. That'd be a good. That'd be a good one too. Watch Alabama, Texas, and then watch yeah. Austin Cal. It'd be a good little night of, good night of uh, football. Some good ones. Ole Miss Tulane is super interesting. Um, yeah. That's cool. Nebraska Tulane's Colorado right. has become very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And then what's the other one in in conference play? I think there's one other interesting game. Now I can't remember. Um, uh, yeah, I can't remember either. Mississippi was, Arizona maybe. Yeah, what was it? Uh, A&M goes to Miami. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. We'll see. Miami's obviously A&M's ranked. Miami's not. Don't know exactly what Miami is, but, there, you know, enough talent there probably to that that'll be a good little trip for A&M, a tough, tough game too yeah. um, to see what they're all about. All right, let's get out of here for Cole. I am Justin. We'll see you next time. Thanks.